Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Try to get you out here before then. Amen. Maybe just right before. I think it's supposed to start at midnight, so just about right before we'll get you out. Amen. Psalms chapter 78 here this evening. Psalms chapter 78. Seriously, I won't hold you long. God might hold you a long time, but I won't hold you a long time. Now that we have everybody nervous. Psalm 78. And let's begin reading with verse number 9. The Bible says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, refused to walk in His law, and forgot His works and His wonders that He had shewed them. Verse 9 again, the, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They turned back in the day of battle. Tonight for a little while, just minister this simple thought here this evening and you'll understand where I'm coming from when I'm finished. But I want to minister this issue in doubt. Issue in doubt, issue in doubt. Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. Thankful, Lord, for the praise of your people. I'm thankful, Lord, for the songs of Zion. Pray, oh God, this evening you're able to touch my mind and my heart, God, as I, Lord, share from your word, God, the Bible, this holy book. Pray, oh Lord Jesus, today, God, let there be something said, God, from it that can benefit us, or that we can take and apply to our individual lives. God, I'll give you the praise for it and glory for it. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, we need you to speak to us here this evening. God, and we'll be appreciative of God, whatever you do or say. God, in this place, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. The lovely name of the Lord. The children, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Ephraim was one of the sons of Joseph that the granddad Jacob had adopted as his own. Whenever Jacob was on his deathbed, so to speak, his son Joseph came in the room where his father was. He had two of his sons with him. He had Manasseh and he had Ephraim in his hands. Manasseh was the firstborn in Ephraim was second. The Bible says that Jacob, their granddad, uh, maneuvered his hands wittingly and placed his right hand upon Ephraim and his left hand upon Manasseh, which was just the opposite of what it should have been, being that Manasseh was the firstborn. The right hand should have been on Manasseh's head and the left hand upon Ephraim. But Jacob, being no doubt guided by the Spirit of the Lord, he crosses his hands and places the hand of, of, of firstborn blessing upon Ephraim. 
And it's then throughout scripture that we see that the blessing of the firstborn was very much so with Ephraim. We see it throughout uh, his, his life as an individual and throughout the life of his tribe. It would be that uh, the tribe of Ephraim and those that accompanied him in their march through the wilderness journeys, he had along with him the tribe of Ephraim, had the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the other half from what I spoke of last week, and also had the tribe of Benjamin with them. And they would march on the west side of the Ark of the Covenant as they were going through the wilderness. It's also my understanding concerning Ephraim that whenever they would go in to possess the land of Canaan, that Ephraim had a portion of land that, and pardon the southern Illinois speech, smack dab, all right? Smack dab, look it up in your dictionary, in the center of the promised land. He, he was right there in the middle. And as, as a result of being in the middle, uh, he, he was subjected with that land of having a lot of privileges concerning the land. They, they had some of the hills of limestone that was in that portion of the land, but there were also some plains areas where there were streams and running water. The Bible even speaks of some of those portions of, of having flowering places and flowering trees and, and that there were olive valleys that were there and there were vines that were there. And so they were very blessed by being in the center of the land. But even a greater blessing than that that was bestowed upon them being in the center, uh, they had the city of Shiloh. Shiloh was the place that whenever they crossed into the promised land that the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle of God, would reside in Shiloh. So it's just blessing upon blessing from that initial hand that was upon their head from their granddad. Here they are in a very, very prosperous land. It has a lot of things that are benefiting to them being in the center of the land. They have the tabernacle of God, the presence of God, if you will, right in arm's distance to them. And so they're very blessed for where they are. As a matter of fact, they have a rich heritage. They have a rich heritage, the Ephraimites do. Uh, Joshua, who was uh, the commander-in-chief after Moses died, the Joshua, the one who brought him into the land of promise, he, he was, the Bible says, himself a Ephraimite. And so he, they have some people of, uh, of clout and prestige that are a part of their family. Even the other tribes that was with them, the other half of Manasseh and the tribe of Benjamin, Manasseh could boast of having Gideon to their fame, one that went down with just 300 men and seemingly overcame the enemy in battle and, and Benjamin can claim that Saul, the first king of Israel came out of their tribe so there's just a lot of clout and a lot of interest that goes along with Ephraim, amen and so they, they're, they're very, very appreciated, they're very high and respectable they have increase in their life they are poised in a very good place but what we read of in in Psalms chapter 78 is this, is that God is causing a change in his kingdom where the tabernacle once resided at Shiloh. He was now going to move it from Shiloh to Jerusalem where Ephraim at one time had been the desired of tribe, even the largest of all of the tribes. He now is going to put his hand of endorsement upon the tribe of Judah. They are somewhat upset, somewhat jealous 
as a result of this maneuver of switching the tabernacle and switching who was the favored or endorsed tribe. And something had happened in their life. Something had happened in their state. Although they had all these privileges and all of this increase and the best portion of the land and had men of renown that had come from their tribe, something had happened because the Bible illustrates to you and I in verse 9 that the children of Ephraim were armed, carrying bows, but turned back in the day of battle. The, these prize-worthy tribe, reputable tribe, they were going out armed in battle. The difficulty was that, that it's not that they didn't have the weaponry. That wasn't the problem. They had the weaponry. They had bows. As a matter of fact, from my study, they were, they were quite, quite good at the use of the bow. And so when they went to battle, it's not that they didn't have the weaponry. They did. They had bows. They were carrying bows. They were well armed. But the problem for the Ephraimites is this, is whenever it was time to go to battle, they turned around and went back home. Whenever it was time to fight, whenever it was time to engage, they rather disengaged, all right? And there's not just an occasion in history we can look back on and say this is when Ephraim turned around. But somewhere along the journey in the history of Ephraim, it just happened overall. It's not like it was one battle, but it was a mindset that had happened in their life that they just quit fighting the battles they used to fight. They just quit engaging in the warfare they used to engage in. But things that they would once take issue with, they were just not taking issue with anymore. Uh, they, they many times had maintained their position, but now in warfare they were turning around and they were turning back. They weren't standing beside Judah and Benjamin and the other tribes of Israel, fighting along beside them, being fighters, defending what was theirs, defending what was right but the Bible says that they were in, in essence they were cowards in battle they turned back around they, they, they turned back around and fled from the very place that they should have been fighting at and they had weaponry everybody say they had weapons they had weapons but their weapons were worthless if they didn't have the courage to implement them they had bows and arrows in their arms, but it really didn't serve them any great purpose if they didn't have the courage to implement them. And might I even say that as a church or as people or even as the tribe of Ephraim, they could not advance and they cannot win a war that they're not willing to fight. Someone say amen. I come all down to this concerning what happened in the life of Ephraim. Here recently I was reading concerning uh, the war on terror that very soon ensued after the 9-11 destruction of the Twin Towers. And whenever all of this took place, I was reading a book that was written by a chaplain that was on the front lines, the first to enter into the city of Baghdad after this war on terror start. And he said whenever they entered into Baghdad and the lower slums of what they called Saddam City, they had all kinds of battalions and there was all kinds of army men and marines. He was a chaplain in the marines. And he said they were going toward the palace that was one of Saddam's palaces in Baghdad. And as they were going up and down the roads, they were having difficulty in finding the correct route to the palace. And there, there's mortars being spread, shrapnel just going everywhere, RPGs happening. Man, there's just bullets whizzing by people's heads and, and being punctured, even their armored vehicles and things blowing up, casualties upon casualties. 
stories taking place and even a few fatalities that was happening. And what he described is something that's described uh, that I've read many times in any war zone type of mentality. And that is you get to a place from my understanding of these people of military that you get to a place that you have little or no idea what is going on around you concerning the other units that are in the warfare. As a matter of fact, historians throughout the ages, whatever war it may have been, Vietnam, Korea, World War I or World War II, have oftentimes referred to this as the fog of war. The fog of war because of the smoke and the mortar joints and everything exploding and, and your vision being somewhat hazed. You get a little bit confused from the chaotic situation of the battlefield. But the fog of war doesn't just remain in a real physical realm, but they say oftentimes there's a fog of war that comes in and seeps into the mind of the warriors, the mind of the soldiers, the mind of the military. There's a little bit of uneasiness that settles in their mind, an uneasiness that arises, and they're wondering if perhaps with all everything that's going on, they haven't had any contact with some of the other units in quite some time. They begin to wonder if they are the only unit that is left standing. The only unit that is left standing that's a part of the thousands upon thousands that initially entered into the battle. And this man described, he said, there was one time as we were trying to find our way and people were being wounded just horribly and it was taking place. We was having a hard time finding our direction to the palace. That's where we needed to go. We were back and forth and going over some of the same terrain and just being taken over on every side. That one of the commanding officers almost said those three words. Three words that were only said twice in the world wars ever said. The commanding officer almost spoke those three words and those simple words were this. Issue in doubt. Because issue in doubt means this. That in all likelihood victory is impossible and defeat is imminent. It means unless something or someone finds a way to change the battle's momentum, the only recourse is at best is to pull back, regroup, and rearm. He said that only happened twice in any of the world wars that someone spoke issue in doubt. What it means is this. They're wondering to a certain degree if the issue they are fighting for, if what they're doing is justifiable for the losses that they're sustaining. They're asking, they're asking if the effort that's being put into this is going to have any advantage over the losses that's taking place while they're trying to do it. They're wondering if there's any use in doing what they're doing. There's an issue that's in doubt. Is this, is this a warfare that we should be engaged in? Is this a battle? Is this a palace that we should be overtaking? Sometimes that fog of war gets in their mind and thinking you know what we'll never get the victory over this we'll never see the backside of all this perhaps this is impossible perhaps this can't take place perhaps this will never happen folks I come to declare on this
this Sunday evening that I believe the tribe of Ephraim got in the fog of war and that there were things that were going on among all of the tribes that they came to a place that they felt like they were fighting all by themselves and that they were alone and they began to think of some of even the laws of God were issues that were still fighting for if some of the precepts of the master were things that were still worthy and justifiable to go on and march and go on and shoot another arrow over Somebody's quite not understanding me here yet tonight. We are engaged in a very similar warfare as they were years ago. And I fear that in the minds of people all across setting in churches, they are getting caught in the fog of war. And they're asking themselves, uh, should I state the words uh, issue and doubt? Should we still stand for the things we once stood for? Should we still fight the faithful fight? Amen. For the things we fought for for 10 years. Should we still engage in the same practices that that we once engaged in is it worth it is it worth it is it justifiable is there I'm telling you right now tonight as a pastor having my pulse on the church with friends and at once evangelized there is too much going on in the church of people getting clouded in the fog of war. You're thinking sometimes you're the only one fighting. You're thinking sometimes you're the only one that suffered any losses. But let me tell you there's some other tribes out there. There's some other brothers and sisters and they're still preaching the faith and they're still upholding the bloodstained pander. Don't you dare let fall out of your lips issue and doubt and retreat and when it's time to go to war turn your back and go the other direction because I tell you right now folks it's not for the lack of weaponry it's not for the lack of weaponry Pastor, you've been kind of hard here the last week and this week. You know, listen to me. It's going to get harder because the world's waxing worse. Scripture tells me it's going to happen. And, and I think it was Spurgeon that said, if there is a mist in the pulpit, there'll be a fog in the pew. What are you saying? I got to give definition. I got to give a clear sound and a definition from the pulpit or we'll be experiencing fog of war out here and somebody will be contemplating some issues in doubt. Someone say yes. You know what the difficulty is, folks? We oftentimes are viewing things through our human point of view and we're missing God's point of view. The Bible says, go with me, please. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13 through 17. And they're just on the fly up there for these remainder of scriptures. But Matthew 16, verse number 13. Here is the great apostle Peter. Amen. The one that's boisterous with his words. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? He's asking, what is the point of view of men concerning me? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And the Bible says, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Again, he's still asking the opinion of men, but ones that he's drew a little bit closer in concert, living, eating, and sleeping. 
around. And, and, and Peter pipes up and says, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, look, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it. What you just realized was not the point of view of man. Hey man, flesh and blood's not received this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. You got a God point of view of me just in that moment of time. I like how, how the living Bible states this. He told, he told Peter, he said, for my Father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. Now skip down to verse number 21, Sister McGee, if you will, tonight. I know I had a few verses and take one away and shove it in there and do it. Amen for me tonight. Verse number 21 speaks these words. From that time forth, look, we're just a few verses removed. From that time forth, Jesus began to shew unto his disciples how much, how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. 22, I'm sorry. Amen. <laughs> Leave you hanging. Leave me hanging too. Verse 22. Then Peter took him, Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. But he, Jesus, said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Look now. This is the only place I know in Scripture where it speaks specifically of a human being being offense to God. He says, thou art an offense unto me. Remember, the word offense comes from that, a bait, a bait that is upon a trap to be as a snare. He says, Peter, with the verbiage you just spoke, you're an offense to me. Look, for thou savorest not, now remember three verses ago, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The living Bible says this. He says, Jesus, he says, Peter, you are thinking merely from a human point of view and not from God's. See, whenever Peter looked through the point of view of God, he got his, Jesus' identity right. But whenever he looked through the point of view of man concerning Christ, he got his purpose wrong. Uh -huh. God's point of view looking at Jesus got his identity right. Man's point of view, looking at Jesus, though, got his purpose wrong. What I'm saying is we can get in battle sometime and we'll want to turn back because we're looking at the battle with the point of view of men rather than the point of view of God, and the two are vastly different. Someone say amen. I'll tell you how different it is. In Joshua 10, in verse number 12, Joshua's in battle. Man, they're really fighting. They're really waging. Joshua's thinking, if I had a little bit more daylight, I could sum this whole thing up. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so what does he say in Scripture? He says, son, remember it? Stand still. Uh-huh. Right? And the Bible says, the son stood still. Listen to me. I want to show you the vast difference between man's point of view and God's point of view. Because from where Joshua currently was, he said, son, stand still. Son, quit moving. But according to science, the son doesn't move. Man says the earth orbits around the sun. The earth is in movement. 
When Joshua, from a man's point of view, says, son, stand still, God says, let me, that, let me interpret that from my point of view. Earth, stay still. Honey, if it's daylight to dark just through those two views of a human standpoint and a God standpoint, when you're in the midst of your battle about ready to roll out your lips, issue and doubt, you need to let God weigh in on the matter and see what he has to say about it from his point of view because it could be the difference between something moving and you moving. Someone say amen. amen. We need to get God's perspective on the matter. You know, almost every time in New Testament scripture, whenever people came to tie up the Lord in his words, or if you will, try to uh, uh, trap him or offend him, if I could even use that type of thing, they were always asking the Lord. When they came with the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, Moses' man says that she should be stoned. But God, what do you have to say on the matter? We had a man's point of view and a God's point of view. God said, says hey you say she'd be stoned I say she can be forgiven it happened too many times whenever he's on his way to go to Jairus's house because that 12 year old girl that is sick and she's at the point of death the Bible says that there came along then a servant because he'd been tied up with the lady with the issue of blood there came along a servant and said Jesus don't worry about it it's too late that was man's point of view but you know what God's response was in essence to them it's never too late for Jesus to show up in a circumstance it's never too late for Christ to show up he walks in that place and they say Lord she's dead that's man but God says hey she's only asleep What are you looking at tonight that you're thinking about tucking tail and turning around? I'm telling you, there's no issue in doubt. There's no issue in doubt. God still sits on his throne. He orders the sinner in the circumference of the universe. There is no issue in doubt. Something don't change the battle's momentum. We don't find some way. This thing's gonna be this thing's gonna be over. <laughs> but your perspective must be right. Ephraim, let me impart tonight. One of the reasons why I think Ephraim had a problem, had that issue in doubt mentality. Because Ephraim had started already compromising some of the issues. Sister McGee, if you can get from me Hosea chapter 7 and verse number 8. The Bible speaks concerning Ephraim. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Something I want you to understand here. It does not say that Ephraim was forced 
to mix himself with the people. The Bible says Ephraim, from interpretation of reading of his own accord, mixed himself with the people. It further describes him as a cake not turned. Well, I know that's a little bit outside of our league today, or maybe it's behind our league. But the little cakes that they were referring to, these little circular cakes that they would make that was almost as thin as a pancake. And they would heat up a place of oven, maybe a place on the earth with coals. And they would get that hot and they'd push those coals aside and they would lay that little round thin cake down and take the coals and pile it on top of the cake. And after a few minutes, they would flip the cake over. And it would only be thoroughly and completely cooked as if they kept turning the cake over because if you didn't get it done it would be like me that I do with my grilled cheese sometimes one side would be black and if they never if it was a cake that was not turned one side would be black and the other side would still yet be doughy he was saying Ephraim is a cake not turned if I can put it in modern day slang Ephraim was half baked Ephraim was half-baked. He had mixed himself among the people by his own choosing, by himself. He had done this. He had mixed himself. He wasn't forced, but he had mixed himself among the people. Let me tell you, folks, in the last days, there's going to be a lot, a lot of smoke filling the air of society. There's going to be a lot of mortar joints that's going to be going off. There's going to be a lot of RPGs flying through the air in a spiritual realm. There's going to be a lot of machine guns, and there's going to be times you're going to feel like you're isolated and you are alone. But I'm trying to persuade someone right now to get a made-up mind that you will not mix yourself among the muddle and mix yourself among the mush and mix yourself among the unholy and mix yourself among the unsacred and mix yourself among the tainted. I'm asking somebody today don't remain on one side and be a half bake in the church because there's going to be things in the latter days that's going to come toe to toe with you and they're going to try they're going to try your allegiance to your God they're going to try your allegiance to his word look what the Bible said Ephraim he said he turned back in war why he didn't keep the commandments of God he didn't uphold the standards of the Lord what had he done he had already compromised so it's a whole lot easier for him to turn around when the going got tough. Let me tell you, what's going to be trying to bread in the minds of people? Issues in doubt. Someone hear me tonight. Read a recent article just this week, recent article just this week, that there is a proponent, there's a proponent of gay, uh, of same-sex marriage up in the northern states that went down to Alabama to speak at a conference for three days. And he doesn't want to make no ruffling of feathers with the Bible believers, judo-Christians. And uh, he, he, he doesn't denounce that the Bible speaks that there is mention of homosexuals in the scriptures. What it says, it says that culturally, culturally, the way that they are interpreting that is not fit for today's time. Listen to me. He says what really is the case is same-sex individuals being able to go in marriage is not spoken against in the Bible only in the fact that they are spoken against just like a man or a woman that had a one-night fling. That the temporariness of it, as though if it was just happening for a moment, it's saying nothing against a same-sex marriage that would last forever in heavenly bliss of love. 
Someone hear me right now? Is somebody hearing me right now? Somebody hear me right now? You know what's trying to be done? Issue and doubt. He's trying to catch some people that's in the church with all the fog of war, Brother Daniel, that think they're standing all alone by themselves and trying to ponder, is it wrong or is it not? You know what? That make that kind of makes sense. You know, that kind of makes sense, Brother Malone. You know, we, we you know what we need to kind of be more accepting of all of this. That that kind of makes sense. Let me tell you, it's a life from the pit of the ever devil's hell. You better know where you stand. If you're already compromising on some things, the wool can be taken over your eyes on things that make seem to be believable. people's taking issues in that I don't know if there's any a real reason to fight for this let's just you know take the low road not cause any waves let me tell you how many times did you see Christ ride the wave and he said you vipers you you bunch of folk you untoward generation you better straighten up before I come back and get my church I'm telling you today I'm standing here as a flat foot preacher tonight there is no issue or issues in doubt Even so much so, Sister Sheila, over in England, the Anglican church are taking the same point of view. They're in, they're, you know what's happening? Regardless whether it's another denomination, somebody's turning back in war. And it's not because they've been ill-prepared with weapons. Because they, by their own accord, are mixing and muddling. I really want to go do this, but I'm going to, okay? I love everybody. We just came in a new turn of the pushing of the envelope over this past weekend. The 50 Shades of Grey. Not seen the show, not read the books, read a bunch of articles, and my wife has kept me up to date quite a bit. And after one of our intellectual discussions one day, because sometimes we have these at lunchtime, we have no kids around anymore, so we can get back to talking. And we talk about, we talk about current events, we talk about the Bible, we talk about it all. We talk about things afflicting the church. Brother Mason, I just, I listened to it. Number one, number one. If these are two unmarried people involved in any type of sexual activity, there's your sign. Okay? I don't have to go any further than that premise alone. Okay? Okay? Okay. But I did, I, my mind works a little weird. You all probably know that by now. I started considering this, and I started going to uh, these professional artists. I went to the sites of these professional artists. My mind works weird. I started looking up all the times the word gray was used in the Bible, all the times the word shaded was used in the Bible, all these different things. I just worked just in a weird way, folks. By looking at these professional artists, and I began to look. And, and, and whenever you talk about colors or you talk about paint in that aspect, not talking about light, but talking about paint or talking about colors in that type of aspect, they say that white is nothing more but void of color. White is void of color. But black, on the other hand, is the mixing and the muddling of all colors. 
The way that gray is made is a combination of white and black. Blended. Now listen to me. The title was specifically called 50 Shades of Gray. From my understanding from the artist, whenever you add white to a color, that's called tinting. Whenever you add black to a color, that's called shading. So if it was 50 shades of gray, it's that they had to start with the purity of the white and add the black in order to get the terminology shade. Otherwise, it would be called 50 tints of gray if you started with the black and was adding the purity of the white. Folks, it's 50 shades of gray in the church. They're starting with the purity of the white. And they're taking all the melding and the meshing of the other colors, whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like, whatever's good, whatever's deemed acceptable, that's the black that they're trying to mix with the white to get all the different shaded air. And all that produces is issues in doubt in the minds of Holy Ghost-filled believers. Turn back in battle. I've already been up here long enough. Stand with me before I go any further. Folks, I just want you to understand something. I got a I got a major responsibility. And I don't want silence in the pulpit to be interpreted as acceptance in the pew. I'm not going to take it for granted. Well, they know. I want you to know whenever you leave the double doors of this church, you exactly know. Because there will be issues of doubt. You say it can't happen. It can't happen. I listened to Brother Mooney the other day. He said he had some people that used to be a part of his church. Went out of his church, started practicing the alternate lifestyle, and now they are three of the biggest same-sex marriage churches in Indianapolis. They once were white, but now they're shaded gray. What happened? Issues in doubt. Can we foreseeably win this thing? Listen, because it's going to get worse. Listen to me. Listen to pastor right here tonight. The verdict of going on and fighting isn't based upon whether or not you win in the here and now. Because you might fight a battle to your death and never see the totality of the victory. But victory will come. If not in this life, in the life to come. And so don't think for a moment, well, should we pull back? Is victory even possible? You know, defeat seems awful imminent. Folks, that's an issue in doubt. Let that not roll out your mouth. The day of battle's not leaving, folks. We were called to be soldiers, and that's with purpose because we're meant to be in the fight. Amen? 
It's not like everybody's becoming a soldier and getting in the reserves. We're fighting some good fights of faith. And I hope I got some people here with me. Go fight with me. If not, I guess I'll go through my fog of war and I'll fight by myself. But I'm not saying issue and doubt. Nope. Let's bow our heads. I don't know if there's a song that's even acceptable for something like this. Let's bow our heads in this place tonight. I wish as a church if we could. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.